one way that this uh, that our path and practice is described, you could say a sort of a framework or model for how uh, we might think of it, is um, it's described in terms of uh, what, are call, what is called the ripening of the paramis, or paramita in Sanskrit. Um, some of you, maybe most of you, are familiar with these ten qualities that are called the paramis, um, but maybe not. There are ten sort of beautiful qualities, beautiful noble qualities that it's said that the Buddha, or the Buddha to be, the Bodhisattva, is said to have perfected these over countless lifetimes on the journey to becoming a Buddha. And uh, there are these teaching stories called Jataka tales, um, which is where these are mostly, uh, you find these um, these paramis mentioned in these uh, Jataka tales. And often the, the bodhisattva is born as, a, as an animal or a, a prince or different kind of beings. And, and he spends a lifetime perfecting one of these beautiful qualities of these paramis. And so the... the in this model, you could say that the, the culmination of the path or the, the fully awakened heart and mind and these qualities are brought to completion and, and perfection, fully developed. And there's a place in the text where um, Venerable Sariputta, who is one of the Buddha's two chief disciples, is asking him a question. He says, he asks, how many qualities are there issuing in Buddhahood? And the Buddha replied, There are, Sariputta, ten qualities issuing in Buddhahood. What are the ten? Giving. Sariputta is a quality issuing in Buddhahood. Virtue, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. These are qualities issuing in Buddhahood. So this is the list of these paramis. So the first one, dana, is generosity or giving. Second one is sila, which is this ethical conduct uh, we're practicing here in the keeping of the precepts. Third one is nekama, renunciation. The fourth is panya, wisdom or insight. Fifth is virya, energy or effort or courage. Kanti is the sixth, patience. Tolerance, acceptance, endurance, satcha, truthfulness or honesty, aditana, determination, resolve, metta, loving kindness, and upeka, equanimity. So this is the list of these paramis. And we could see our practice in this way. We can actually look at it in this way as the strengthening, the cultivating of these wholesome, beautiful qualities. And this is happening in our meditation practice, in formal practice, and, and just in our lives as we go through, through a lifetime. We are cultivating a lot of these qualities. And I think this way of looking at, at the path is especially common in um, Asian countries, at least in some of the ones where I've spent time, in Thailand and Burma, in the Theravada Buddhist countries. Um, and the, the teachers over there, many of my teachers in Burma, they, they talk about the path. And they talk about ripening of paramis. They relate to practice and speak about it in this way often. And I think this maybe has, uh, has to do with the... They, there's a view that uh, is held in, in uh, these countries, in these cultures, um, where practice is seen as unfolding over lifetimes, many lifetimes. 
and there's a very broad view of how it how it happens and um, and there's an understanding of rebirth that permeates those cultures, and that's part of that. But whether or not this the idea of rebirth is meaningful to us, you know, and there's no uh, demand that one believe in that. You can see for yourself if there's some understanding that comes about that. But it's not required to to have a belief in rebirth. But we can see this in in the in a single lifetime. You know, we can see all the different births, you could say, that we take in a single day or even in a single period of meditation. And so you could say a life has a continual flow of births and deaths and rebirths because we go from, you know, heaven realms of bliss and pleasure to hell realms of despair and anguish and everywhere in between. We can take birth in a lot of these different realms just in a single meditation period, isn't it? many lifetimes you could say in a single day depending on what's going on and and through this flow this ebb and flow and this movement these beautiful noble qualities of these paramis are being developed and we sometimes meet people where it seems that one or more of these seem to be very strong in them they seem to be highly developed and we meet people who have seem to be incredibly energetic or extremely loving and kind or or just naturally generous. Just seem to have a generous heart. It just seems to be the way they are. I'm, when I was thinking about this, I think of my mother who was, had this abundance of energy, a very energetic person. She, um, you know, she took care of the house. She was at a, of a generation where where the women tended to be the housewife, doing uh, all the housework. She did all the cooking. She also did all the gardening outside. She loved to grow flowers and vegetables, and she had a beautiful garden. She was a potter. She made a lot of beautiful pottery, and she made pretty much every dish we had in the house she had made. And uh, she had her studio, and then she she was uh, part of a cooperative crafts gallery. So she worked there and sold uh, her stuff there and, and uh, had her duties there and she, she did all this volunteer work. She was always helping in poor communities and delivering meals to people who were homebound and teaching, sewing to people who were uh, in poor communities and all kinds of stuff. And then she raised four kids and uh, had a lot of friends and, you know, it's kind of an impressive list, <laughs> you know, to, to... But I didn't notice it when I was growing up. She was just my mom. And um, she, she, there was this, wasn't hyper. She was kind of natural and pretty graceful and easy. It wasn't, didn't stand out as anything special. It's just the way she was. And we might know people who, who seem to have a lot of some of these qualities, you know, and, and they seem to almost have come into life that way. And uh, some people we meet and they in their practice in their meditation practice they seem to it seems to just unfold and they progress and deepen very very quickly you know we we meet people like that and and my teachers in asia would say well their paramis are very ripe their parami is ripe and there's this understanding that that we're not all the same in this regard there's there's differences and so just in our practice just because by the way that we 
we're willing to show up, to begin over and over, to begin again, when all the times that we have to do that, by bringing the power of attention and intention to cultivating love and understanding, through our commitment to non-harming, to keeping the precepts, in all these different ways, we're, we're strengthening these paramis, these beautiful qualities. But we can overlook this part of the path. Often we overlook this. We don't see it because we're so focused on trying to do our practice. We're trying to meditate. Maybe we're trying to develop concentration or something. We're trying to do the practice and we, we overlook. We don't notice all these good qualities that are getting developed. No matter what's going on, qualities like perseverance and energy and resolve, kindness, They're strengthened in so many different ways in our lives, not just in our meditation practice. And it's good to reflect on this, I think, from time to time, especially when the going gets rough, you know, in our on a retreat or in our practice it gets it gets rough and we feel like, well, nothing's happening here. Nothing's happening in my meditation. We can remember, oh, but I'm I'm strengthening perseverance, energy, effort all of these good qualities. So I brought one of my favorite books. I'm going to read you a story tonight. This is Frog and Toad Together. And this is a level two reading with help book, which um, is is a good, it's a good, it's about my speed some of the time. So um, I'm reading the story called The Garden. And I wish I could show you the pictures. Um, You'll hear our frog and toad on a tandem bike. I don't know if you can see them from there. Um, They're very sweet. So this is sort of like a Jataka story. And uh, often in the Jatakas they'll say, well, you know, in one story they'll say, well, this character was the Buddha, and these other, this other ones, these other two were Sariputta and Mahamogalana, you know, his two disciples, but as animals or something. So, I think of this frog as as the Bodhisattva and Toad as maybe Ananda or somebody. <laughs> anyway, you can. This is a teaching fable. <laughs> so, <clears throat> this is the garden. Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, Frog, he said. Yes, said Frog, it is very nice, but it was hard work. I wish I had a garden, said Toad. Here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground, said Frog, and soon you will have a garden. How soon, asked Toad. Quite soon, said Frog. Toad ran home. He planted the flower seeds. Now seeds, said Toad, start growing. Toad walked up and down a few times. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head close to the ground and said loudly, Now seeds start growing. Toad looked at the ground again. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head very close to the ground and shouted, Now seeds start growing. Frog came running up the path. What is all this noise? he asked. My seeds will not grow, said Toad. You are shouting too much, said Frog. These poor seeds are afraid to grow. (laughs) My seeds are afraid to grow, asked Toad. 
Of course, said Frog. Leave them alone for a few days. Let the sun shine on them. Let the rain fall on them. Soon your seeds will start to grow. That night Toad looked out of his window. Drat, said Toad. My seeds have not started to grow. They must be afraid of the dark. Toad went out to his garden with some candles. I will read the seeds a story, said Toad. Then they will not be afraid. Toad read a long story to his seeds. And the next day, Toad sang songs to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad read poems to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad played music to his seeds. Apparently, he plays the violin. Toad looked at the ground. The seeds still did not start to grow. What shall I do, cried Toad. These must be the most frightened seeds in the whole world. Then Toad felt very tired, and he fell asleep. Toad, Toad, wake up, said Frog. Look at your garden. Toad looked at his garden. Little green plants were coming up out of the ground. At last, shouted Toads, my seeds have stopped being afraid to grow. And now you will have a nice garden too, said Frog. Yes, said Toad, but you were right, Frog. It was very hard work. <laughs> so... <laughs> might have figured out the point here. <laughs> so, you know, our practice is like planting seeds in a garden, right? But a lot of the time we're like Toad with his seeds, you know, and they don't come up fast enough. And, you know, the first question we ask is, how soon? You know, we start our practice and we're immediately looking to see if we're seeds are growing and we don't see results and so then we start to yell at our seeds right we yell at ourselves internally you could say we're not doing it right and maybe we try all kinds of strategies like toad you know with his stories and poems and music but a lot of the time we're not quite that kind we're not as kind as toad when he thought his seeds were frightened you know we don't read stories or poems to our seeds we blame them or blame ourselves or we find fault with the teachers or the teachings or place blame here or there trying to f- for our lack of results. I teach a lot at a place called the Insight Meditation Society. Some of you may have been there, heard of it. It's in Massachusetts. It's kind of one of the oldest retreat centers in this tradition in this country. And uh, it's been, been uh, going since... I think it's about 35, 36 years now. And in the very early days when they uh, first started it, uh, they got a, a piece of mail was apparently delivered there. It was addressed to the Instant Meditation Society. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, but, but that's what we, we want, instant meditation, don't we? <laughs> you know. There's a story in one of the suttas, uh, one of the texts, and um, the Buddha used a lot of kind of farm, barnyard imagery, farming kind of imagery and stories. And this is a place where he's talking about a hen who's incubating eggs, sitting on her eggs. And this is the story there. He said, suppose a hen has eight, ten, or twelve eggs. If she doesn't cover them rightly, warm them rightly, or incubate them rightly, then even though this wish might occur to her, 
Oh, that my chicks might break through the eggshells with their spiked claws and beaks and hatch out safely. Still, it is not possible that the chicks will break out through the eggshells with their spiked claws and beaks and hatch out safely. Why is that? Because the hen has not covered them rightly, warmed them rightly, or incubated them rightly. So it doesn't matter how badly we might want things to happen, happen on our own timetable. You know, if we don't sit on our eggs, they're not going to hatch, and sometimes it takes a while. But we're impatient. I think our society conditions a lot of impatience in us. You know, we want things done fast. We want quick results. We tend to lose interest if things don't happen quickly. Figure there's got to be a better way, and better means quicker. There's got to be a shortcut. We want a shortcut. And because we're so impatient, we tend to be impatient culturally, society. We often misunderstand patience, I think. You know, sometimes we can confuse it with an attitude of not really caring so much or some carefree, indifferent attitude and just let things run their course. Or, or we think patience means a kind of, you know, grit your teeth and bear down stoicism. You know, and, and we, we make it through, but, but we're tight and contracted if we do that. We don't want to learn about patience a lot of the time because we usually have to do that when things are, are not going too well, when they're difficult. And You know, it's easy to be patient when things are going well and we like what's going on. You know, if our experience is really nice and flowing smoothly and pleasant, then it's easy to be patient. I mean, it doesn't even come up. It's not an issue then. But without this quality of patience in life, we're going to have a hard time in, in our practice and in our lives. We're going to suffer because things aren't going to go the way we want them to all the time, probably not even very much of the time. So we really need patience in our practice because we're going to face challenges in our lives. It's guaranteed. We can't get things to go the way we want them to just by wishing it were so. And, you know, here we are, we're, we've come to the retreat, you know, and we're minding our own business. Everything's going fine. And then out of nowhere, for no apparent reason, it all changes, right? You know, we see this in our meditation. You know, everything's clear and easy, and we're relaxed, feel present, connecting with the practice, is flowing along. And then it just falls apart, you know, and suddenly we're confused and resistant and angry, frustrated. And it's this, it feels like this back and forth. You know, one sitting it's all pretty groovy, and then the next sitting it's a complete train wreck. You know, it might be easier if it didn't change. You know, if it was just kind of a drag all the time, we'd get used to it. But then there's times when it's not too bad. You know, things are kind of okay things to come together a little bit and, and then we lose it again and then, and then our tendency is to say well what happened what did I do wrong I did something wrong that's how we tend to relate when things fall apart I was on a retreat I guess the year before last I, I had some retreat time and I, I remember there was one point I thought 
if I had never meditated, I'd be just as good at this as I am right now. That's how it felt to me. You know, and I've been, I've been hard at this for a long time. It was kind of, okay, what's going on here? You know, I thought, really, I would have been better off if I'd never done it, as far as how it felt. Of course, you know, that was my perception. It wasn't true, maybe, altogether. But we need to find qualities of patience, of forbearance, acceptance, gentleness, steadiness, care, compassion, or we're going to suffer in our practice, in our lives. So this word in Pali, kanti, it's one of these paramis, is the word for patience. And it includes these qualities, patience, it includes qualities of acceptance and forbearance and gentleness and steadiness. You know, real patience is really imbued with a, a gentle, kind quality. You know, we're willing to stay steady with things. And we can, it gives us the ability to move through the rocky terrain of being a human and the rough times that come. Sometimes I think, you know, we're, we have this idea that that the goal of our practice or the, the end result is that we're going to reach a state where we only have pleasant experiences. You know, we might not we might not admit it if someone asks us, but I think secretly we're holding out some hope. That that's what we're we're, we're tipping this tipping the balance in that way. You know. As though being fully enlightened means nothing but pleasant experiences. And, you know, it's said that there are these heaven realms in the Buddhist cosmology. There supposedly are some heaven realms where it is the the experience is always pleasant. It's always really pleasant there. Nothing unpleasant. Which might sound kind of good right about now on retreat. But it's said that the human realm is the best place to practice the, the Buddha's teachings, to practice the Dhamma. And it the reason it's said is that it's not too pleasant so that we have some inspiration to practice. And it's not so difficult that we're just crushed under the weight of suffering like some of the, the realms of woe that are described where it's just so much suffering that we can't practice. So we're in the middle there. There's some inspiration to practice and it's not so hard that we can't. And what the Buddha was pointing to the freedom that he was pointing to, the liberation of heart and mind, is it doesn't depend on things being any particular way. This is really a, a crucial understanding. You know, true freedom can't be dependent on things being a particular way because conditions are always changing. And any peace that is dependent on conditions isn't going to last because conditions will change and then we're going to be back where we started. So there's no real freedom that's conditioned. Buddha was pointing to an unconditioned kind of freedom. And we have to be able to open to the whole thing when it's going well and when it isn't. You know, if we only open to things when it's going the way we want it to, when we like what's going on, then we're not, we're not learning freedom there. We're not actually learning anything that's ultimately useful. 
you know, if our happiness depends on having things be a certain way, we're going to be in for a rough time because it's not going to be that way all the time. And, you know, we come to our practice and, and we may have an agenda. Usually we have some kind of an agenda. You know, we want to find some peace or some ease or some calm in our, in our busy lives or, you know, there's something that we want to fix in our, about ourselves or fix in our lives or we, we, we want to get something that we think we don't have, something that, that we think will make us happy. And then, you know, we sit down to meditate. We start paying attention to our experience. And, and then what's there? You know, there's this wild, uncontrollable mind that's full of resistance and pettiness a lot of the time. Everything we've repressed or denied or done our best to forget shows up, isn't it? I mean, it's just all the stuff. You know, and, and maybe it's not stuff that's just that's difficult to be with, but but it's boring or repetitious or, or just embarrassing, you know. Every song, jingle, stupid TV show we ever watched, are you watching reruns of, you know, Mr. Ed? A horse is a, a, horse, is a horse, of course. <laughs> I mean, I, sorry, but it's true. I was on retreat and, you know, the, song, the theme song from Mr. Ed is right there. <laughs> You know, it's going to come up. And some of it will be just silly, and some of it's going to be hard to be with, some of the things that show up. You know, and a lot of it we don't, we find unacceptable. And there's all this stuff that we've kind of hidden away, or we put in some special compartment. You know, we're not going to look at it. You know, things that we did that we feel remorse about or that are embarrassing to us and we and they'll show up you know and we can't hide from this stuff if our strategy is to somehow put things tidily away and not look at them this this practice this path is going to test us because we're going to have to look at everything sooner or later it's all going to show up there was a an article i read and we're people remembering the famous uh, Tibetan teacher Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, his beloved teacher. And uh, this this one this article um, was recounting this um, this event in in Berkeley, California, where there was a big hall that they'd rented, and a lot of people had come to see the Rinpoche to hear him speak, and and he. Um, he showed up quite late, which I guess was his uh, tendency to, to show up late to things, events. And when he, he came in, he went up on stage and he said, if you want your money back, it's all right. Just go to the door and ask for it back. It's quite fine. In fact, if you haven't started the spiritual path, best not to begin. It's difficult. It's terrible. And you have to face all kinds of things that you won't like. As far as the ego is concerned, it's just one insult after another. <laughs> you know, and sometimes it feels like this. As far as our ego is concerned, it's just one insult after another. Sometimes that's our experience has that quality. And you know, we can keep things at bay for a while. We can have some calm and 
with concentration sometimes, or we can kind of space out, zone out, and not notice stuff. But sooner or later, we have to develop a relationship with everything, with the whole of our being. And patience is a real necessity for this process. You know, we can have the idea that we have to get rid of certain things in our experience in order to practice, you know, like we have to get to some special kind of higher, more rarefied kind of state or something. But, you know, it's right right in the moment, here and now, where the practice happens, not in some future state of grace. You know, right in this body, in this mind, in this moment, is where the Dhamma reveals itself in the middle of the whole mess. And patience is one of our best allies in this practice. And patience helps us to navigate the whole thing with some stability, with some kindness, with some gentleness, through all these up and downs. You know, we're going to get lost over and over. We'll get caught by things, something we've seen a million times, and then it catches us. We get hooked. Sometimes it's going to be difficult, painful to practice. And we need to remind ourselves that this is a path that takes time. You know, a lot of what we're doing in, in great part is we're, we're deconditioning or unlearning a lot of deeply conditioned habits of mind. You know, we've been practicing them for a long time. Maybe it's for lifetimes. And we've been getting really good at these and it takes a long time to unlearn them let them go. It takes time before they start to fall away. And the only way that's going to happen is to stick with the practice, you know, to really be resolute, you know, to have this quality of doggedness, I think of it. We're going to stay with it. That's what's going to make the difference. And until we're completely, fully enlightened, there's going to be times when we're lost in confusion. Times where we're fighting this process, struggling against the way it is. And unless we have patience, we're just, we can create a situation where we're never good enough, we're never okay as we are. If we're fighting this, if we're struggling against the process of purification, we can set it up where it's never all right. So we really need to cultivate this quality of patience. <clears throat> and sometimes our lives present us with opportunities to learn about patience, to develop it, that we often wish we weren't getting. Isn't it? You know, we mostly learn about patience by being impatient. And and getting to explore impatience. That's a lot of how we learn about patience. And I had a great opportunity in this regard, caring for my elderly parents, who both died a couple of years ago now, quite close together. And they, they were both, well, they both lived to be nearly 92. They'd been together for 70 years, which is a long time to do anything. It's a long time to breathe let alone stay married to the same person. 
it's impressive. They actually liked each other up to the... <laughs> I had some friends come when my parents, just before we had to, shortly before they had to move out of the house that I grew up in, a couple of my friends came by and they were, one of them was telling me how how sweet she thought it was seeing my parents sitting on a couch holding hands talking together. And, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't notice that kind of thing so much. It's harder to notice that with your own parents, I think. I'm really impressed my friends that they would have been together that long and still seem to enjoy one another's company. But, you know, in their older years, my mother had pretty severe dementia, got quite bad, where she was very confused a lot. And my father, he had his mind stayed a little better, but he had a lot of reactivity to the way my mother was. It was really hard. And, um, you know, just being with my mother, and we'd have the same conversations over and over. I'm sure some of you have had this experience. You know, it's just like she'd ask me something and I'd I'd answer, and... And the next thing, seconds later, the same question and again, and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, there were many times, and my father, you know, rea- his reactivity to the way she was. And so many times when I, I was not patient. And it was very um, humbling and painful to see that, you know. And so many times when I had to, you know, make amends and ask for forgiveness and apologize. You know, if we tell ourselves to be patient, to tolerate difficulties like this, just be patient, you know, we can we can just sort of find that we're sort of just bearing it, you know, we can kind of tighten down. But we can actually explore impatience, this quality of impatience, get to know it. You know, how does it feel in our bodies? How does it feel in the mind, in the heart? What are the thoughts, emotions, the stories there? It's, it's a waste of my time. or You know, I can't take this. Or these different ways that, that impatience and the emotions that are there. What happens when we identify with it? We get caught and identified. You know, and we can think of the times when we've reacted out of impatience. You know, when we lash out of, you know, from anger, frustration lived to regret it. I, there were times when I said some very cruel things to my father, you know, and it was just really hard at times. And then, you know, we, we do our best and we, we make amends as we can. There's this Chinese proverb, it's very uh, pithy. One moment of patience may ward off great disaster. One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. And it's true, isn't it? You know, people who who react out of impatience, frustration, and shoot somebody or do something, and you know they're in jail for the rest of their lives or something out of one moment, one action, born of some impatience. So one strategy that can help with developing patience is, and also working with impatience is looking at our relationship to unpleasant experience. You know, we often relate to unpleasant experience as bad, as wrong, as something we want to avoid or get rid of, 
change and we can write off a whole day because there's a predominance of unpleasant feeling tone to our experience you know and we can we can look at our practice find ourselves saying i had a bad day or the morning was wasn't too good i had a bad morning bad day yesterday and if we look at what we're what it is that made it bad often we'll look and see there was a a lot of unpleasant feeling tone to our experience and conversely well we could say oh it went really well it's going really well today and what we find often that means is there was a, lot, a higher percentage of pleasant feeling tone to our experience and so if we find ourselves relating to this unpleasant feeling tone this un, this dukkha vedana as bad or wrong something that we should try to change or get rid of we can find ourselves sort of dismissing or writing off a big chunk of our life you know it's as though it had no value but actually there's a lot we can learn in the moment there if we can reframe our experience we can bring some investigation and interest there and our minds and hearts can open in the midst of an unpleasant experience we start to see that it's conditional that it's impersonal it's subject to change that that uh, that it uh, that our experience arises due to conditions passes when conditions change and then we can find some freedom right in the midst of difficult unpleasant feeling tone and this can lead us to meeting our life more fully more completely rather than trying to make life conform to our agenda about how we think it should be we meet it as it is another useful consideration we think about developing patience is to remind ourselves that this practice consists of small steps taken many times over and over you know and if we have it in mind we sit down and we're going to be mindful for this whole sitting or maybe we wake up in the morning i'm going to be mindful for the whole day or maybe we just think i'm going to be mindful for the next 5 minutes you know and and then we set ourselves up for failure because we can't do it you know and we get impatient and frustrated it's a setup for blowing it for failing but we can connect for this moment what we do we're mindful now and then the next moment and then the next moment we do one moment one moment at a time so we make that light effort connecting one moment at a time and we do that repeatedly rather than holding a whole chunk of time and that's sustainable that's that's manageable I'll just meet okay I'll be here for this moment and if I'm still here at the end of it I'll do the next one we do it that way there's a, a technical definition of patience and uh, it's pride from the visuddhimagga but there's some useful stuff in it it says it's said that patience has the characteristic of acceptance its function is to endure the desirable and the undesirable its manifestation is tolerance and non-opposition and its proximate cause is seeing things as they really are some interesting things in there 
So it has this characteristic of, of acceptance, and that's really a key with this quality of patience. And acceptance means that we, we take our stand on the truth of the moment, on the way things are, take our stand on reality. So we're standing on reality, not standing on the way we think it should, should be or supposed to be. And this quality of acceptance, it's, it's important to remember that this isn't resignation. Resignation is a kind of state that's like, um, it's a defeated state, it's a collapsed state. But acceptance is vital and alive, connected. And this points to um, what it said there is the proximate cause for the arising of patience is said to be seeing things as they really are. You know, so often we can be focused on, on the way things should be instead of the way it is right now, right here and now. And that definition says that the function of patience is to endure the desirable and the undesirable. Or you could say the pleasant and the unpleasant, or the agreeable and the disagreeable. We endure those. And there's a, a place uh, <clears throat> in the Buddha's... Uh, t- he's teaching his son, Rahula. It's the Buddha's greater discourse advice to Rahula. And uh, in that teaching... The Buddha says this, he advises Rahula to develop meditation that is like the earth. For when you develop meditation that is like the earth, agreeable and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. This image of of meditating like the earth, or you could say like a mountain, maybe. It's a good example. You know, we remain firm and steady in the face of our experience. You know, a mountain or the earth, it's, it has this impartial, firm, steady, resolute quality. You know, things happen and the mountain isn't moved. And we don't usually think of desirable things as being something we have to endure. I'm going to endure this desirable feeling. It doesn't usually strike us in that way. But I think this in part points to our relationship with uh, the changing nature of things. And so we endure desirable, pleasant experience in that we know it's not going to last. We know that it will change, that it's subject to arising and passing, and so we have some, it helps us to be balanced with that. It said that the manifestation of patience is tolerance or non-opposition. And this is the aspect of this quality that's, that's not in contention with our experience, not struggling against the way it is. We don't fight against things, but we don't wilt from and we don't wilt or retreat from them either. You know, patience gives us an ability to flow with the changes that come. We can ride the changes. And we build great strength of heart with this quality. Because we don't falter in the face of what's difficult. We don't shrink in defeat or withdraw from challenging times. And at the same time we we're not struggling and fighting in a way that just exhausts us and leads to giving up. So this is this non-opposition quality there. Sometimes this uh, quality of patience, patient endurance, sometimes it manifests as an incredible strength of heart, incredible strength and courage and compassion. Sometimes it really has those qualities uh, some of patience is imbued with those qualities. This is a quotation from uh, 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that really speaks to this beautifully. It's, this is from a Christmas, uh, an excerpt from a Christmas sermon on peace. It's a famous quotation. You probably have, may have heard it. We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. And so throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave, a, leave us half dead as you beat us and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit culturally and otherwise for integration and we will still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer and one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. This is, I think, one of the most beautiful aspects of this quality of patience that has such incredible courage and compassion together there. You know, it's a it's a heart that heart of strength and compassion that it knows suffering, it understands the nature of confusion, of delusion it knows what it's like to act from fear and confusion and it's able to bring kindness and compassion to bear in the face of that there's a a poet named John Chardy who had this uh, beautiful description of patience, just one short sentence. He said that uh, patience is the art of caring slowly. I think that's a beautiful way of expressing it, the art of caring slowly. And there's this real inner strength that comes with patience, with the cultivation of patience. And we cultivate this heart that's strong and kind and compassionate and can hold all of the the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows that life brings us all the changes and it's worth remembering as we walk this path as we follow this practice that most really worthwhile things in life take time to develop and grow this is from a from an article or something that was written by uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, Tan Jeff. Um, and in this, in this quotation, he's, he's, um, it's actually a, a discussion on, on uh, Anapanasati, on meditation on the breath. So um, bear that in mind. But it, it would apply to any kind of practice, any mindfulness practice. Good things always take time. The trees with the most solid heartwood are the ones that take the longest to grow. So we do the practice, focusing on what we're doing, 
rather than getting into an internal dialogue about when the results are going to come, what they're going to be like, and how we can speed up the practice. Many times our efforts to speed things up up, actually just get in the way. As for whether the results are coming as quickly as you'd like, or when they do come, whether they're going to stay as long as you'd like, that's going to depend on what you're doing right here and now. Our desires to have the results come, our desire to have them stay is not going to keep them here. It's the actual doing of the practice that will make the difference. So I'm going to leave you uh, end this talk with a short poem. This is called Dreaming the Real by Linda France. I'm lying down looking at the color of sky falling through trees, dreaming the real, tasting what it feels like to love it. Why did it take me so long to let go, simply exhale so the day could breathe itself in and open without me standing in the way? How could I forget the tender grace of my own body, strong as this blue, tender as the white of the wild blossom, warm as midday light? Let me practice a patience bold enough to hold every weather, trusting the elements, the beauty of rain, and all its shades of gray. I want whatever's real to be enough. At least it's a place to begin and to master the art of loving it, feel it love me back under my skin. So we can continue to sit quietly for just a moment and let these words drift away. (laughs) 